Well, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, and as I said, tomorrow morning we're going to get up and open presents, and it's exciting. And the great thing about presents on Christmas, actually, we do know why we have that custom, because it comes from the wise man who gave presents to Jesus. And the presents are the expression of love. That's what it's all about. That's the reason why we give, the reason why we should give, is that we're expressing our love. And we all know how it feels when someone that's dear to you and that loves you and is committed to you is thoughtful and they took the time to buy that gift just for you. And it represents great sacrifice. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's, and I, I've been doing this for Karen every, every year for 45 years, although I need some help now. After 45 years of gift giving, I recruit my daughters to help me to know what I give your mother this year, and they do help me. But when they, oh, you open those presents and there's an expression of love and you realize that somebody is sacrificed on your behalf, there's a sense of profound appreciation and gratitude. It's a statement of love. It's not so much the value of the gift, we hear that all the time, but it's, it's about what that person feels and thinks about you. In fact, our, our gratitude and our appreciation is in direct relationship to the thoughtfulness and the value that that person places on you. When the wise men came to give Jesus gifts, they came from a great distance, and there was great sacrifice involved. And they came, they bowed down before this, some would say, toddler by the time that they showed up. And they worshipped him, but they gave him gifts. Now, they, they, they sacrificed, for they came from a long way, a long distance, and they gave him gold, myrrh, and frankincense, which was extraordinarily expensive. They placed it at his feet because they understood the value of this dear baby, that he was the everlasting son of God, and they worshiped. Now, visualize this. This is an amazing picture in my mind. These grown aristocratic men bearing extraordinarily expensive gifts, getting on their knees before this toddler because they realized that he was God in flesh. And they worshipped him. I just can't help but think what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, when he says, but thanks be to God. And I, you, you know, as you read these words, it's, it's almost as if you can see Paul putting his hand over his mouth. He says, but thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Do we know what's been given to us? That God became flesh and he dwelt among us? It was a demonstration of God's love in human history. And I know we say that. We say that all the time. I preached on that last Sunday. We say, that, oh, this is an expression of God's. But do we know the kind of love that was expressed to us? It's not this utilitarian love, this reciprocity that we have with one another, this conditional stuff that we have with one another. This, this, it, was, it was a divine love. That was expressed to us. And the love of God can be summarized, at least the missional aspect of his love, can be summarized by these three incredible things. Number one, it was a sacrificial love. I don't mean that it just hurt God a little bit. But that great verse for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God abused himself 
for us. He sacrificed. It was a sacrificial love. Secondly, it was a defiant love. And by defiant, I don't, I don't mean that, you know, that, that God is shaking his fist in our face. No, it is a defiant love, meaning that it defies our responses. How we respond to the love of God does not affect the love of God. You can cuss God, you can shake your fist in his face, you can yell at him, you can be mad at him, you can discredit him, you can discount him, you can reject him, you can say that he doesn't exist. It does not affect in one bit his overwhelming love for us. It is totally unaffected. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet and still sinners, Christ, Christ died for us. It's a defiant love. But thirdly, it's a merciful love. Oh, that extraordinary text in Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses, which describes a pitiful condition in which we find ourselves. That we're controlled by our addictions and our sin and forces that, 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 that are beyond, beyond us. We didn't have enough fingers or toes to plug up the dike, the leaks in our lives. We'd go to counseling, get help on this thing, and find out that I got problems over here, and I Talk to somebody about it, I get problems, I get coping mechanisms, I get problems over here, and I'm, I feel, it feels like I'm in prison. We're hopeless. We can't deliver ourselves, and the guilt that plagues us, and we lay awake at night wondering what's going to happen to me if I should die. We can't shake ourselves from these things that, 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 that just, just, just bury us. I know I'm talking to somebody here today. When we're in that pitiful situation, that amazing verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, according to the great love with which he loved us, his mercy is the response to his love. When we couldn't help ourselves, Jesus came and got us, cleansed us, plugged up the holes in our lives, gave us hope. The question is, how do we respond to that love? How do we love God back? How do do we respond to sacrificial love, to defiant love, to merciful love? What, What do we do? The way in which we respond to God's love, hear me, is to mirror that same love back to him. There is this extraordinary statement. I just love the word picture in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Listen to these words. They're almost poetic. He says that the moment we as followers of Christ, the moment we gave our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, now listen to the words here. Paul says that, God took his love and poured it into our hearts. Poured it into our hearts. And this is astonishing to me, meaning that the moment we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have the capacity to love God the same way in which he loved us. I was talking to my youngest son the other day. He pastors over in Nashville, and he was telling me about uh, this, this, this couple, uh, the young lady is, is in his church, and she, uh, she was uh, an aggressive atheist. I mean, hostile atheist. 
But the wonderful thing is, is that she gave her heart and life to Jesus. It, it, this, it, God miraculously uh, answered all the arguments in her soul and, 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 and wooed her to himself. Her husband also was an atheist, and so Brendan would sell him as a dad. He's moving from atheism to agnosticism, and I just had a two-hour conversation with him. He is very close to giving his life to Jesus. I said, well, Brendan, what, what happened? He said, Dad, it wasn't so much the arguments, but it was his wife's changed life. And he just could not get over and can't get over the love that's in her heart and life, the joy that she has, the transformation that is there, and she is a totally changed, different woman. Why is that? Because the love of God has been poured into her heart and into her life. God has transformed her. There's this great text of Scripture in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39, this lawyer comes up to ask Jesus, ask Jesus a question. So what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds this way. The greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God. Now listen to these words. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, dot, 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 and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to suggest to you that in that passage of Scripture, Jesus is telling us that we need to mirror the same kind of love that God has for us. Now, it's not specifically spelt out there, but it is strongly implied. Just as God loves us sacrificially, and he loves us defiantly, and he loves us mercifully, so also, because the love of God has been poured in our hearts, we can love God, we can love God sacrificially, defiantly. And love others mercifully. We can love God sacrificially. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That universal inclusive statement implies sacrifice. It implies moving away from yourself and laying it all on the line. To be a follower of Jesus means that we turn completely away from the things that we have trusted in. We turn completely away from the things that we thought was our source of salvation and deliverance, whether it's relationships, money, or whatever it might be. We turn from that and we face him. We give ourselves to him. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we are all in. We're willing to make Jesus the king and Lord of our lives. We love him with everything that's within us. But secondly, those series of verses implies also that we, we, we love God, if I might use this expression, defiantly, in a sweet, defiant way. It implies complete loyalty. You shall love the Lord your God with all, not part, but with all your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, not part, but with all your soul. You shall love the Lord your God with all, not part, but with all your mind. That you, 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 you're not divided. It's not a divided, lo a divided loyalty here. It is, it is a love that says, I am focused on him and him alone. To love anything else equally as we love God is to commit idolatry. But we love him supremely. I love him with all that's within me. Why? It's not in me to do that, but 
when I turn to him and respond to him, he pours his love in me and I have the ability to mirror that love to him. And he says, you can love mercifully. Where do you get this from? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we truly know the love of the Lord Jesus, that love is demonstrated in kindness, gentleness, mercy, and tenderness toward others. For we know what it means to be forgiven. As the Apostle Paul admonishes us in Ephesians chapter 4, we forgive the same way that we have been forgiven. And again, that's only possible by coming to know the Savior that was born in that manger. Mary, did you know? Your baby boy? For he empowers us to do all of these things. The only way that former atheist who is a Christ follower could be so completely changed is because of the truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Hostility is melted. Bitterness is taken away. Anger is transformed. Love prevails. And I know that I'm talking to some people here who have yet to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. You don't know for sure that he's living inside of your heart and life, and you can make sure right now. Jesus came to love you in the feeble way that I tried to describe. My feeble attempts at trying to describe, rather, his great love. We are what Jesus was looking for. We are why he came. This is the meaning of Christmas. He came to transform our lives. He came for us to be trophies and demonstrations of his stubborn resilient, incredible love. He died for us. And he says, will you come? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He says, I will come in. I will come in. And all we have to do is turn from our sin. Don't make bogus promises. Don't tell God, I'm going to stop doing this, stop doing that. How's that working for you? You ain't stopped that before. I didn't stop it before. You don't make those bogus promises. We need his power, his transforming love and his power to change us. And all we need to do is say, Lord, I turn from my sin and I turn to you as my provision for my sin. Come into my heart and life and make me your child. You say, Crawford, that sounds so very easy. Well, it is easy. It's very easy. I said this this past Sunday, and I'd say it again here. Listen to me. You don't honestly believe that somebody that would love us at that degree of sacrifice and, and defiance in such a merciful way, you, 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 don't, you don't actually believe that somebody would love us like that would make it difficult for us to come to know him. That didn't make any sense. He's, he's made the way. He, he's, he's knocked down every barrier. And the resistance is not on his part. The resistance is on our part. The way is easy. 
He says, come, turn from your sin and trust me. And I'll take it from there. Perhaps inside of your heart, while I've been speaking, there's been that little tug. And I don't mean this arrogantly because these words are not my words. They're based on this word. And that little tug is saying, you know, this is right. You were born for this. You were born for this message. You were born for this relationship with Jesus. And if you want to establish a relationship with him, I want to encourage you to pray a prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin. And I trust you as my Savior and Lord. If that expresses the desire of your heart and life, I'm going to invite you to pray that not out loud, but just in the quietness of your own heart and mind. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin. And I trust you, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. If you've prayed that prayer and you really meant that in the sincerity of your heart and life, Jesus Christ has come into your life. Remember what I said before. No one who loves you that much would make it that difficult for you to come to know him. He's there. He's in your life. Before I pray, I just want to say this to you. In the seat back in front of you, there's this little card called a Connect card. And if you're visiting with us this evening and uh, you pray that prayer, you can turn that over and it has some uh, a space for your personal information. I'd like to receive that from you. But also in the center there, it says, uh, my decision today, I pray to trust Christ for the first time. If you prayed that prayer along with me, you can check that off. Perhaps you didn't pray that prayer, but you have some questions about trusting Christ. Maybe you want to talk to some of us here. We'd be glad to do that. You can check off the middle box. And we'd like to know who you are so we can pray for you and get you some information that's proven to be of great help for us. And so you can fill that out maybe before you leave this evening, and there's offering boxes by each one of the exits, both up in the balcony and down by here. We'd love to, love to hear, love to hear from you. And one last challenge I make for those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes we get a little spiritually lazy and, and entitled, and our hearts get cold and compromised. And we need to revisit Calvary and really revisit the magnitude of God's love for us. And ask ourselves the question, how does my heart and life, the way that I live, reflect the profound gratitude and appreciation that I ought to have for his sacrificial love, his resilient, defiant love, and his merciful Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for this time of the year. Thank you for the extraordinary gift. Nothing compares to the birth of Jesus in human history. Nothing compares to um, the cross work of Christ. Nothing compares to his resurrection. Nothing compares 
the power and the penalty and one day the very presence of sin being taken away. Nothing compares to that. Hallelujah. Thank you for our salvation and our great Savior. We love you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.